0: Canada is accidentally declaring some people dead, cutting them off from their pensions. Calls to restrict the sale of sodium nitrate grow. Transport Canada announced relaxed safety measures in airports, but only if you're Nexus or a cop. Canada's national household debt blows past our GDP and a fire that killed 19 girls who died at a boarding school in Guyana was set by a fellow student. Good morning. It's Wednesday, May 24th. I'm Nora and here are your headlines. First up, several Polish Canadians have been surprised to discover that the Government of Canada has declared them dead. CBC News reported that due to a clerical error, Michael Zakrzywski was declared dead. He lost his pension as a result. After CBC News ran that story, they heard from other Polish Canadians who had also been declared dead by Service Canada and who had also lost their pension benefits as a result. Miroslav Konier dealt for weeks with Service Canada agents to insist that he was neither dead nor did he not not need his pension. Both men were first declared dead by Polish authorities, though they still received benefits from Poland. Canada didn't catch the error and cut them off. And that error... Well, on a form where the date of decision should go in a particular field, it was filled in accidentally into the date of death field. Yeah, that will probably do it. But CEC found others who aren't Polish and who have also been declared dead by Canada. One person didn't return a government letter, which was all that it took to have them declared dead. Considering the amount of time that individuals spent to get Canada to consider them alive, advocates warned that this might cause harm to marginalized seniors who do not have the time or resources to insist that they are not yet dead, potentially creating a catastrophe if they're cut off from their finances. Next, to a very sad story related to suicide. If you prefer not to hear it, take your earphones out or turn down the volume for about three minutes. CBC News has been tracking the number of victims who can be traced to a man named Kenneth Law. Law lives in Mississauga and has been charged with aiding and abetting suicide in two deaths in Peel region. But he likely triggered the deaths of far more people than that. CTV News has placed the death count at 12. Of the people CTV named, most were in the United States, aged between 17 and 41, and one was in the UK. Law was sending out 1,200 packages that contained sodium nitrate. The chemical compound is used for curing meats and can kill someone if they ingest it. There have been at least 51 deaths in Canada involving sodium nitrate since 2020. Three of the cases were in Quebec. Why sodium nitrate? Well, it's not a regulated substance, and it's pushed on pro-suicide websites online. CTV News' John Woodward talks to the family of Bennett Brown. An American, 17 years old, who ingested sodium nitrate and died back in November. Brown had had several concussions and had become withdrawn and ultimately made an order at an online retailer, not from Ken Thaw. Brown's father says that this substance needs to be controlled because of how it's being pushed online. He likened it to cyanide, not a substance that you can get at the local hardware store, he says. Now to news from Transport Canada. I'm bypassing the journalists here and going right to the government press release. You'll know if you listen to me a lot that I spend a lot of time in airport security. It's the most ridiculous ritual that we have, and there's mostly no need for the restrictions that they've placed on us. Like you can have a liquid that is under 100 milliliters, but not if that liquid is water. There can be absolutely no water in your water bottle. If you want to drink the water that might be left in your water bottle to show just how unexplosive your water is, you'll be asked if you're being a joker and if you want to be arrested. My last trip, a security agent literally poured about 10 milliliters of water that was still in my water bottle into a Ziploc baggie. She did me a favor doing this. I didn't have to go back through security, but it's completely nonsensical and not rooted in anything other than security theater. Especially when you read as much about airline safety as I do, and you know that there are real concerns related to how many lithium batteries are starting fires on board airplanes. Phones, laptops, vape pens they all pose fire risks. And yet most passengers have at least two, if not all three of these items on board with them. Anyway, I was pleased as hell when I heard that Transport Canada would be relaxing some of these ridiculous security protocols. I've always said that the government that wants easy favor with voters should do this. And here the liberals are. They're doing it. Except they're liberals. And so there's always a catch. They will be relaxing these measures only for quote unquote verified passengers and only if they're going through one of six airports in Canada. You can probably guess which six. No, not you, Halifax. The government promises that this program, quote, will help ease congestion over time as the use of dedicated verified traveler lines grow. Now, verified travelers will also get front-of-the-line service and additional benefits at transborder checkpoints. Okay, okay, so who are these verified travelers? Well, Nexus, of course. Nexus already have their own lines, and there's a whole system to get Nexus, like you need to be interviewed by the government and submit biometric information. In addition to Nexus, there are Canadian and International Air Crew, who also mostly already have their own lines, but that's great. Active members of the military, because we all know that if we're worried about terrorism in Canada, active soldiers are at the bottom of the list of doing bad stuff. No, wait. uh, Okay. And finally, yep, there's only one more group of people that has been added to this list. Cops. (laughs) Police officers. What? And oh, if they're traveling with children or people over the age of 75, they also will be considered verified travelers. This seems like a joke, like the only real addition to this list is actually cops. And I think it's a good thing that I just used the press release rather than going to an article from CBC, because if I went to CBC, I would be telling you that, quote, federal government announces new program to streamline airport security, unquote, as their headline reads. That article by Peter Zimenich starts like this, quote, with the aim of avoiding the travel chaos that gripped the country last summer, the federal government is rolling out a new verified traveler program, which it says will streamline airport security check in process. Beginning next month, eligible airline passengers will be able to keep their laptops, electronics and liquids in their carry on bags and will be permitted to clear airport security without having to remove their shoes, belts and jackets. He then talks about all the airline issues in Canada that plagued Canadians last summer. It's great that pilots won't have to put their laptops into the bins. That'll make things quicker for them. And I guess giving cops an extra perk is nice for cops as well. But let's be serious. This is a joke of an announcement, and journalists who are reporting this as if it will help anyone who isn't a cop is simply doing government PR. There will be no time savings here for the average traveler. In fact, it will either push more people into the Nexus line, which is (laughs) sorry, Nexus folks, or it will force airports to make a second, separate, dedicated line, which will slow down the vast majority of other passengers. It's all very silly and predictable, and journalists falling for the spin should be a bit embarrassed. Next, to something that actually matters Canadian households owe more money than the value of Canada's entire economy and hold more debt than any other G7 country. This is from a new Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation report. Canadians owe 107% of Canada's GDP, it surpassed 100% during the pandemic. That's a really shocking number. The report compares this to the United States, where debt fell from 100% of GDP during the 2008 financial crisis to about 75% in 2021. Now, to put this into perspective, Australians are more indebted than us, but CBC has made a chart that puts us at number two. Japan is at 69%, Germany at 57%, and Italy at 44%. The biggest chunk of that debt, of course, is mortgages. CBC's Pete Evans talked to Benjamin Tal from CIBC, who said something a bit surprising. Maybe so surprising that it indicates just how much of a giant problem this poses for our economy. Quote, the current surge of immigration is drawing attention to the problem and spurring provincial, municipal and federal governments to do whatever they can to get more housing units built. But he, Tal, said that at least part of the solution must come from ending the obsession with home ownership in the first place, unquote. Now, I don't know if Tal referred to immigration in the first part of that quote, or if Evans just slipped it in. The words, quote, current surge in immigration, unquote, link to an article that doesn't mention Tal at all, but does mention that immigration in Canada is rising. I also don't know if Tal made the point of saying that the governments are all doing whatever they can, because they're not, that's a straight up lie. (laughs) They're not doing whatever they can. They're doing maybe some things, but not whatever they can. But either way, it's a very classic thing for journalists to do. Blame immigration on something that is 100% a made in Canada crisis and to credit governments for doing pretty much nothing. But Tal rightly notes that rooted in this is an obsession with home ownership, driven, of course, by many factors, including a rental market where you can be out on your ass in a flash if your landlord decides to. And so home ownership becomes a de facto means for more stability in a lot of rental markets. But anyway, it's good that he's mentioning this and very interesting that it's coming from a banker. That is an indication of how worried bankers even are of this crisis. Anyway, if you're wondering why Canadians are so docile and will accept a ton of abuse, this is probably like 64% of the answer. And finally, very sad news from Guyana, where a fire on Sunday night killed 19 people at a girls boarding school that was set by a student. The school became an inferno with many students trapped inside because the doors were locked to keep kids from sneaking out. 20 girls were rescued. The girl who set the fire is under the age of 16. National Security Advisor Gerald Gouveia said that she was upset that her cell phone had been confiscated after it was revealed she was in, quote, an affair with an older man, unquote. That man is old enough to be expected to face charges for statutory rape. The majority of the girls who died were Indigenous between the ages of 12 and 18. The youngest was five years old, the son of the dormitory caretaker. Madiha Secondary School is located at Madiha, a gold mining town. It's about 320 kilometers from Guyana's capital of Georgetown. This story is so horrifying, and there's so many parallels to boarding schools residential schools frankly in Canada here you've got a school that's mostly indigenous girls in a mining town where they're under the control of people lock and key and the whole tragedy has started with a girl who's in a relationship that is likely statutory rape it's so tragic President Irfan Ali declared three days of national mourning reports Al Jazeera those are your headlines for Wednesday May 24th I'm Nora and I hope you have a great day